Okay, be honest now. How many of you find watching that every week painful? <laughs> Me too. I have to watch it with one eye closed, you know, like I'm watching football with my husband. I know some of you love football, but it just seems unwise to me, I'm just saying. <laughs> but I just want to ask you to go ahead and get out your notes that look like this. I'm so glad you have joined us. Grab a pen. We are looking one more week at recognizing unwise activity and learning how we can add wisdom into our lives. And while you get that out along with your Bible, by the way, all of the, the message uh, Bible verses we're using this morning will be found right here on this outline because we'll be skipping around a bit. But while you're getting that out, let me ask you, what comes to mind for you when I say the word heart? I mean, what comes to mind for most people? This, this little video we're going to watch now gives us a clue about that. Let's see it. the Facebook, you know, like symbol, because it just was a little description of how our hearts can be so whimsical about our, you know, our hearts. What do you think most people think of? It's our affections, our feelings. I love money. I love my car. I love my football. But you know, when the Bible talks about heart, it's dealing with a lot more than your feelings. I mean, it includes your feelings, but it also includes your deepest moral and spiritual convictions. I mean, your heart is about the deepest part of who you are. It's what makes you, you. And that's why this verse would make a great life verse. You might even want to memorize it. Now, Ron read it to you earlier, but I want to ask you to read it out loud with me right now. And we're going to read a different translation than he read earlier. Are you ready? Read it out loud with your I'm glad to be here voice. Ready? Go. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Springs. Your heart is a spring. It's not a stagnant pool. I remember the moment when I was a little kid, and I got to experience up close what a spring was. See, I was raised in Florida, which is basically a big marshy peninsula covered in water, and I had been swimming, you know, in rivers and lakes and lots of swimming pools, but this day was different because we were at a spring, and I had my mask on, and I dove in, and it was 
freezing and my lips turned blue, but I didn't care because it was fascinating. I mean, this clear, cold water was coming from down there somewhere. It was blasting and I tried to swim toward the source. I didn't make much progress. I probably weighed about 70 pounds, but I don't think it would have mattered if I'd been a giant because that force was coming out of the earth at such a relentless magnitude that I couldn't have gotten close. You know, it was murky, it was shadowy, and I couldn't see into the source of that spring. And that's like your heart. Solomon describes it as a spring. He says, it's invisible to your eye, but your life emanates from there continually. If we cut you open, we wouldn't be able to see it, this kind of heart. But it's there, and it's the force from which your life flows continually. You live from your heart. You love from your heart. You lead from your heart. You parent from your heart. You manage your money from your heart. You do relationships from your heart. You even do Christmas from your heart. From your heart comes your life. And that's why Solomon gives this command. Uh, Let's read it out loud, this time from a different, no, the first translation that you heard from Ron this morning. Ready? Read it even louder. Ready? Go. Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. You might even have it memorized when you leave today. So this is the first way that you can be wise with your heart, and that's to guard it. Like Solomon says, you might want to write that down. He says you might want to be careful what goes in and keep an eye on what comes out. Now, speaking of what comes out, when I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to say the word but. You know, a person's backside. At my house, it was considered crass and unbecoming, you know. And I remember the day, the hot summer day, that I was playing in the backyard with my friend whose clothes must have been sagging or something. I don't know. My mom was way tucked away inside that air-conditioned house, you know. And I knew that that word was off-limits. But, you know, I felt a little daring to push the limits. So I remember I said to her, I see your butt. Now, what I want to know is how a mom can hear everything. (laughs) Because suddenly, she wasn't in the house anymore. She was jetting out that back door like she was the rocket from, you know, Cape Canaveral or something. And suddenly, I was no longer out in the backyard playing. I was inside the house facing my mom. And, you know, the discipline that was shared with me that day was enough to forever make the use of that word scary. In fact... It was kind of hard to say it to you this morning. (laughs) Well, that was about my behavior. That had nothing to do with my heart, with a change in my heart. In fact, that was my earliest memory of behavior modification. (laughs) Do you have some memory like that where it became evident that in order to get along successfully that you needed to put some lid on what came out, maybe out of your mouth or out of your actions? put some control on it. I think most of us learned to filter, right? I mean, as we went along, it had to do with getting a date or getting a job or keeping a job, you know, or how to be accepted. But those were learned behaviors with no real heart change. 
But we learned really well how to keep a lid on it by filtering what came out. But when we talk this morning about guarding your heart, we're talking about something different than modifying behavior. See, this is especially important for people who are dating or who are engaged because eventually what's there deep down in a person's heart is going to grow and grow. And one day when the filter is wearing thin, ask anybody here who's married if that doesn't happen, what's going to What's there down deep is going to come to the surface. See, this is the stuff that makes a young person say to their parents or to their friends, I swear he's a different person than when I married him. Or I swear she's a different gal than who I married. I mean, he was Mr. Wonderful or she was perfect. And then, bam, six weeks later, they're completely different. You see, unless we learn to deal with the heart A filter is just a filter. There's no lasting permanent change. But most of us weren't taught how to do this. Most of us were taught really well how to modify our behavior. You know, we put a lid on the alcohol or on the lust or on the explosive anger until it became like a pressure cooker. And then one day, what was brewing in that dark, shadowy place of our heart made its way into our relationships, and potentially could do a lot of damage. The way that Jesus said it is this, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if the contents of the heart is what determines what's going to come out, and if it's the force from which your life is flowing continually, then it makes sense to guard it, to protect it. I mean, look closely at how emphatic Solomon, the writer, is on this top above all else he says above all else he's going if you don't read anything else i wrote guard your heart what do you guard what do you protect oh this is christmas i bet many of you are trying to protect your calendar right is there anybody in this room who is not busy right we are busy people and we try to protect what's required of us right if you're married, you, you protect that relationship. If you have children or grandchildren, you guard those people. They're so precious. But Solomon is going, listen, I wrote about time management and career and finances and on and on and on. But if you don't notice anything else I said, then you've got to learn to monitor your heart. So How? How do you guard your heart? Well, this is one way you could do it. You guide it. This verse out of Proverbs implies that you can know something of what's in your heart. So give it some guidance. You might want to do these three simple things. First, you might examine it. Here's the question. What do you see in your heart? If you're anxious or tense, ask God, what is it, Lord? What is troubling my heart? Or if you have some fear about the future, talk to the Lord about it. Say, God, would you show me what is this fear about? And then trust him in your heart. Something else you could do to guide your heart is don't pollute it. If you know what books or movies or internet sites pollute your heart, then don't go there. 
give it guidance on purpose. I think another great help in guiding our hearts is to develop habits that train it. I'm talking about old-fashioned disciplines like Bible study and prayer and giving from our resources and serving and hanging out with people who are seeking God. Those are great things to do. Like it says in Proverbs 23, apply your heart to discipline and your ears to words of knowledge. See, these are great ways to guide your heart. And you'd expect to hear these things in church, right? But listen, about guiding your heart, I want to warn you. At least in my experience, the heart is a slippery bugger. Mine is. I've noticed that there are some dark parts of my heart. I mean, I've tried to be disciplined about them, but I've noticed that for years that I keep dealing with the same issues. Sometimes it feels like I'm stuck. I keep thinking about that moment when I was a kid, looking down into that spring through my mask and how it was murky. I, yeah, I could see some things clearly, but, you know, down deep, it was mysterious with dark shadows. And, you know, I think that's a lot like our hearts. I think in every life, there are mysterious places hidden away that God wants to shine the light on and give you and me new wisdom for living. You know, he's relentless like that in his love for you and me. Now, I have no intention of getting in your face today about your heart issue. That's not my job. But I've been praying kind of an unusual prayer. I've been asking Holy Spirit to make it absolutely impossible for you and me not to recognize that dark place that's been hidden away. Maybe even get in our own faces about it. I've been asking him to show us the dark places. Maybe there's some part of your heart that you have suspected is pulling you down but you've never really looked because it's just so hard to diagnose. I, I really enjoy talking to medical people about their work, especially the part of diagnosing what's wrong with somebody. I got to hear a nurse tell about the time that she was working in an emergency room where there was a little three-year-old boy who was brought in over and over again, and he was so sick. And she said it was exasperating. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with this little kid. They said it looked like bronchitis, but he never responded to medication, and he would just show up again. And she said when he came in yet again one time, she decided to look up his nose. And do you know she found there a jelly bean that his big brother had shoved up his nose a year before? Can you imagine? That was a surprise diagnosis. <sighs> imagine the lovely sight when they treated that. I have another friend who was an, a doctor in an emergency room, and she says that one of the trickiest things to diagnose can be a heart attack because the symptoms can be so vague, right? I mean, it, it's just really, uh, it might just be fatigue or, or acting loopy or maybe a little jaw tightness or just sudden onset of dementia. She said it can be really tricky, but she also said when there's a heart issue, you don't want to miss it. And that's like our spiritual hearts. I mean, the heart serves up confusion and deception on a platter like nothing else in life. 
It says in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all else and beyond understanding. Who can understand it? And that's why a lot of people choose to avoid a look, a really close look at their hearts. But when you have a heart issue, you don't want to miss it. So let me ask you, are you game for that prayer to be answered? You know, that you and I would get a really honest look at the dark place that's been hidden away? Or should we just skimp a little bit here? I know for me, I want the prayer. Because I want to experience all the light and the joy and the freedom that Christ came to bring us. So if you would allow me, I'm just going to share one more thing I've discovered about guiding our hearts. And I want to give credit to a, to a guy named Shane Farmer. He's a pastor over at Willow Creek Church in Chicago. It was so helpful to me as I studied this. You see, when we first decide to become a God follower, we spend the first several years of our journey um, working on the obvious external stuff, dying to the parts of ourselves that we consider to be bad. You know, the lying self, the cheating self, the stealing self, the sexually immoral self. I mean, Jesus calls us to die to ourselves, and we get that. But what we fail to realize is that there's an even more important self to die to. The greatest competitor to the light and the purity and the freedom of your heart is not something external. It's that part of you that you take the most pride in. It's that idealized, virtuous image you have of yourself. That's what your heart idolizes. But we don't often even recognize that idolized self. See, that's what's hidden away in the shadows. And it's casting a shadow on every other part of my heart. So this is another way that you could guide your heart. You might want to write this down. Recognize the idolized self. Now hang with me here. See, having an idolized self affects the way you see people. And it also affects the experience that you have with God. Let me explain. Pretend for just a moment that you see yourself as a hardworking, self-made individual. You're going someplace. Now, everybody's idolized self list is different, but the problem isn't that you're any one of those things. It's that those things have become an idol in your life. It's like they're hogging the spotlight. And it's so deceptive. Your idolized self will work hard to prove and protect itself to you and to the world. I mean, it will portray itself as shiny and admirable when it's really leaking darkness in your heart. And one of the ways you know this person has become an idol is when you start to validate this person by devalidating or judging others. I'm going to say that again because that's a quote from Shane. He says, one of the ways you know this person has become an idol is when you start to validate this person by devalidating or judging others. The best way to recognize this idolized self 
is to pay attention to what you judge in others most often. So, for instance, if you find yourself judging others who are lazy, you might be idolizing the hardworking part of you. Or if you find yourself looking at someone and thinking, you know, he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, <laughs> you might be idolizing the smart part of you. Or if you find yourself judging those who are immoral, you might be idolizing the good part of you. If you're a person who cares deeply about others, you know, you could actually start to idolize that and begin to judge those who seem to be insensitive. If you idolize yourself as an independent person, you might look down on those who seem to be needy. I think you get what I'm saying. Whatever we most often look down on others for gives away what it is that we need to look up at in ourselves. So we become judgmental people as a result of getting attached to this idolized self. There's a man from history named St. Augustine that Ron quoted earlier who describes this idolized self in a different way. He said that the common state of human beings is to be curved in on oneself curved in on oneself, you know, preoccupied with ourselves so that we have our backs to God and to others, really. And then there was Martin Luther, who lived about a thousand years later, and he was another devoted follower of Christ. And do you know that nothing freaked him out more than this very problem? He saw it in his own heart, being curved in on himself. So he became a monk, an Augustinian monk, and he would go to confession to the head of his order. That man's name was Johannes von Stoffitz. And he started going longer and longer to where Martin Luther ended up going to confession six hours every day. It started to drive von Stoffitz crazy. And he said, Martin, he said, it's as though you consider every fart a sin. <laughs> it's a good thing my mom's not here. Well, Martin answered wisely. Martin said, Father von Stoffitz, we're curved in on ourselves. That's the problem with the human race. Where do you think it all comes from? You know, racism, oppression, cruelty. He said, I wanted to find the path to life, but I'm in the same condition. He said, I help the poor, but I'm doing it not for the poor, but so that I'll feel better about myself. He goes, I wanted to be humble, but now I find myself feeling noble about being humble. Those proud people. I look down on you, proud people. He said, I've left behind being filled with lust, but I'm just as curved in on myself. So do you think it's true of human beings? I would have to say it's true of me. I have a friend who's been such a gift to me. Now, she was disabled many years ago in an accident. And now she lives alone. She's a young woman. She lives with so many physical obstacles. And she wonders why God has left her here. Now, I don't know, of course, all the reasons why he's left her here. But I know one reason is for me. 
I mean, besides the fact that she just has an incredible sense of humor, she makes me laugh. A couple of visits ago, she said to me, you know, the Bible makes it clear that it's the man's job to make the coffee. I said, really? She says, yeah, there's a whole book devoted to it. I said, really, where is that? She said, well, it says he brews. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Well, I know another reason, though, that she's still here is to give me a look into my own heart. See, I get to go and help her with practical life stuff, like laundry and dishes and vacuuming. And most of the time when I leave her home and I drive away, I'm just struck by the love and the joy of Christ that seeps from her right into me. And most of the time as I drive away, I am just caught up in thinking how precious every day is and how my friend seizes every opportunity to encourage other people, whether it's on social media or on the phone or however she can connect. She's such a gift. But there are also times that I've driven away from her home, and I've had a thought that doesn't bring me much joy at all. And this is it. Another deed done. The old dark part of my heart. You know kind of looks at God and goes, you saw that, right? You know, what I just did? Surely that'll make up for all the ways I'm so weak. And right when that thought flies through my mind, I realize again how self-absorbed I am, how turned in on myself I am, that old idolized self. I mean, was that service really for my friend or was there a piece of me in there? When will my heart be perfect? Maybe never. But I get to do for others and at the same time get a look at how the old dark part of my heart wants to bring me down. So what are we to do about it? About the dark places in our hearts when we get a a glimpse of them like that. I heard a popular song recently who, that, that just describes what most people think we should do about it. Do you remember the song by Michael Jackson called Man in the Mirror? You know, it's a catchy song. I mean, it's just catchy. And it's a catchier perspective, really, on what we should do about our hearts. I mean, the words are well-intentioned. I think he really cared about the hurt and the pain he saw in the world. He describes the hurt all around him, and then he gets to the chorus, and he says, I'm starting, though, with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And no message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make a change. So there it is. Just do it. Be good. Just stop being your old broken self, all curved in on yourself, you know, and really care for others. Just make a change in your heart. Listen, that's precisely what Martin Luther said he was incapable of doing, and he was a monk. So what's the answer? We've talked about guarding our hearts and guiding our hearts, but the ultimate answer is to give our hearts. That's the way to be wise with our hearts, is to give it to Christ. Proverbs says this, Give me your heart, my son, my daughter. 
And let your eyes delight in my ways. What's God's way? Well, it's not the man in the mirror approach where we measure every little wrong and right we see in ourselves, being turned in on ourselves. But the answer the Bible talks about is to simply give our hearts to Christ and allow him to do his work, his way, in our hearts. Sometimes we tell children to invite Jesus into your heart. What are we saying? We're saying to allow Christ access to every part of our hearts. You know, that's what the cross is all about. That's why we have a cross hanging in this room rather than a mirror. Because the burden of just trying harder is too great. If you tell yourself, be good, don't be self-centered, put that message in your heart. Just keep wagging your finger at the man or the woman in the mirror. And you'll discover what Martin Luther discovered. It doesn't matter if you were immoral and you get moral. You'll be on the same path with the same shadows in your heart. It's exhausting and defeating, but do it God's way through the cross. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy, carry heavy burdens, the burden of your own approach. He says, I will give you rest. See, Jesus knew that the blackness of you and me trying to do it our own way, the Bible calls that sin, had made a permanent mark on the heart of every human being And he loved you so much that he couldn't bear the result. You're being separated from God. So he went to the cross and he paid for your darkness with his own life, poured out. So when you and I come and we bring our heart to him and we agree and admit with him that it's defective and that we need his light and his wisdom, he does this miraculous exchange thing. He takes what was old and dark and desperate And he gives us his light and his new wisdom to illuminate the dark shadows in our lives. So hold it out. Just say, here's my heart, Lord. But you know, most people get it backwards. Most people think they need to wait till they feel something before they act, even before they come to Christ. They think they need to feel their way into better behavior, but God says, no, you need to behave your way into better feelings, and the behavior I want you to practice is to bring your heart to me. He says, let me shine the light and show you your next step. We have to be ready, though, because God is practical, and he will show you that next step to take. Like Some people might think, I want to overcome being greedy. I just picked that one because there's nobody here who's greedy. And God would say, okay, the way to overcome being greedy is to give. But the greedy person says, I can't give, I'm greedy. Or like the patient who goes to his cardiologist with a heart problem, and the doc says, okay, yeah, you do have a heart problem. But I think we can avoid surgery. All you need to do is lose weight and exercise. But the patient says, I can't do that. I have a heart problem. I don't like to sweat. I look funny in workout clothes. You see, it's the same when we bring our heart to Christ. We may not understand what he's telling us to do. But the kind of wisdom God wants to give us 
doesn't come through reasoning. God reveals it to you by his spirit. If you want to go home and read more about that, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You see, when you hold your heart out to Christ, it involves some abandon, some surrender, some trust that he is God, that he loves you, that he wants to give you light for your situation. It says in Corinthians, God said, let there be light in the darkness. And he has made us understand that this light is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. See, that's what God's saying to you today. As he looks with you into the spring of your heart, he's saying, let there be light in the darkness. And he's inviting you to simply look into the face of Jesus Christ and discover that he wants to penetrate and illuminate the darkness in your heart. Would you let him do that today? Brian and the band are going to come and share a song with us. And while they're coming, let me just say, perhaps you have never invited Christ into your heart and given him access to every part. While they share this song, it's really a song that's a prayer. You can just pray it along with them and say, here's my heart, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you paid the price for the darkness in my life. Or maybe you have trusted Christ before, but he's revealing to you that there was some part hidden away that you weren't aware of. And this song would be a great time for you to just spend with him and say, here's my heart, Lord. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to follow what you tell me to do. Whatever it is you need to say to God, would you make this time with him real for you? You're all I have 
always the truth. Lord, we know we've heard many other messages coming at us. Some from our past. Lord, some messages from people that we trusted who misled us. And this morning, we're listening for your voice. Maybe right now, you need to just say that to God. Lord, I'm listening. I'm grateful that you paid the price on the cross for my darkness, that you really are love, that I can trust you, even though what you may show me to do doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I'm going to follow you today, Lord. I'm going to do what you show me to do. No more looking in the mirror. I'm going to look at you. Thank you that you received me as I held my heart out to you today. Thank you that you came, Jesus, to earth to show me the face of God, that I can look into your eyes today and discover the light that you want to give to my life. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.